Welcome to the Finity Podcast Series. Today we're going to be discussing climate risk reporting and recent developments in that area. Mm. My name is Raid Muslin. I'm joined by Shranjit Padam. He's my uh, colleague in the climate risk practice. We're both principals here at Finity. And I thought that we could start, Sharanjit, with the question of why is this a topic this week and right now? Yes, Ray. So we've all been uh, eagerly waiting the release of the final standards. So we know that the IWSB has released the uh, draft standards for a while. They've been out there and everybody's been anticipating this. And, and also the uh, federal government, the Australian federal government, also announced the second consultation for mandatory climate reporting in Australia based off of these IWSB standards. And that was either a remarkable coincidence or some very good coordination between the federal government and the IWSB. So it's kind of a double emphasis. One is this global benchmark that's finally going to be in place for how we talk about sustainability and climate, but also a sort of enforcer in Australia where it's what government is consulting to make it mandatory. I suspect that is just a matter of ticking the box. What's also interesting on a global level is that the heads of all the exchanges were also there, and uh, they are also considering whether they endorse the IWSB standard. I think if they weren't going to be endorsing the standard, they probably wouldn't want to be at the announcement and the launch. So I suspect that's, again, something that will be another tick box, and we're going to see this adopted by all exchanges across the world. And I like to take a minute and think about why this is important for the Australian economy in general to sort of segue into the banking and insurance sector. You know, banks and insurers' business is deeply intertwined with the larger economy, both due to the fact that we indemnify against loss in insurance and we also loan and finance uh, many activities in the economy. And Australia, you know, certainly trend is going to face some of the most serious climate disruption yeah. of any continent. And so clearly there's a risk issue that needs to be measured and reported as part of a physical risk assessment for any firms that are like underwriting insurance, et cetera, or making loans. But we also have the potential to become a sustainability superpower. We have minerals. We've got ample renewable power. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I think the decarbonization process, though it may involve disruption and need for finance, is really going to open up big opportunities for our economy. And so it's not only about risk management, but it's also about understanding opportunities and then disclosing that information to stakeholders, be they investors, regulators, or the public, so people can make intelligent decisions about where to allocate economic resources. So I I was wondering, so the new standards, you know, what do they do that the TCFD did not? Well, the first thing to say is that they very much build on the TCFD framework, right? So it's not a departure from that. It is the same governance, the same strategy, the same metrics and targets, the same risk management sections and pillars on which it's built. So people who are already well down the track in the TCFD, it's a case of building on that. It's not a case of throwing that away. I think that the other parts of the standard that are different to TCFD in a certain extent is that they're trying to be more comparable between different companies. And I think this was an investor's complaint about TCFD more broadly, that that they didn't allow necessarily comparisons between companies or between industries. And by putting it all of the framework under an accounting view of the world, where we think seriously about measurement, the IWSB has kind of elevated this and put the, a rigor behind some of what was in TCFD, which was much more about 
having a go and attempting to do things. So it really is, you know, the TCFD is dead now. The IWSB is the new thing. And it is very much the big brother. It is much more encompassing. And also, I have to say, the process, part of this is going through the whole IFRS consultation, uh, development of standards. Now, they have done this in record time, right, Brett? Yes. Well, for those of us who've been through IFRS 17 Mm. and other uh, rollouts of accounting standards that stretched over years or perhaps a decade, uh, this has occurred at warp speed. I remember at the Glasgow COP that this was announced, the first announcement of the formation of the ISSB. It was then, standards were rolled out very quickly thereafter. There was quite a bit of activity around COP27 in Egypt on this. And here we are, literally almost two years after the thing was formed, rolling out standards, which by my experience has been a very rapid process. And I don't think that pace is going to diminish in coming years as this uh, goes forward. And so I guess now if we could turn to, you know, the primary affinity clients of banks and insurers and the financial services industry, you know, what are the key issues for these industries in the financial services sector? So I think there's two pieces here that will really have an impact on uh, banks and insurers in, in more than just disclosing some numbers, right? This is kind of strategic impacts. What does this mean for your business? The first one is that IWSB have called for scope three disclosures. So you need to talk about uh, not just emissions that you are doing, but emissions that people are doing for you and what emissions happen when your products and services are used. Now, that is a big step forward because what it does is it thinks about our supply chains, thinks about how the economy is connected. So going back to what, Ray, what you were saying earlier, that you know, it, when insurers and banks are going to need to think about what emissions are they financing, what emissions are they insuring, and they're going to need to disclose that. And that will have implications because people are going to look at that. So uh, I know many of us in business today are very used to our customers asking us about how we're approaching these issues, how we're looking at sustainability in our business before they're even going to do business with us. And this is going to provide that framework in a much more rigorous way. So that's the first thing to say. But then they're very specific things. Um, And this is the other part of the standards that I do think that insurance bank need to go and have a look at, which is the detailed sector-specific disclosures, particularly from the insurance perspective, the types of disclosure you need to do you need to talk about, you know, if we get technical for a moment, you need to talk about the PMLs from your in your cap business. And these are interesting numbers because I don't think people have disclosed this before. They haven't been part of the disclosure, but because they're relevant to sustainability, you then have to start disclosing them. And that's going to be some interesting challenges. On the banking side, uh, I mean, one of the examples in there is you have to disclose how are you taking into account climate when you are lending money to people? So even uh, for mortgage finance, how are you assessing people's properties when you lend them money against those properties? And that's going to be a big step forward and a challenge. So I think it's really important that everyone sees that these IWSB standards are not just about disclosure. They can actually affect your strategy. They can affect the way you do business. They can affect who you do business with. They can affect what your products and services are. And that comes out when you look at some of the detail. And I think it'd be fair to point out, too, that 
The ISSB standards do not get implemented verbatim without action from the Australian Accounting Standards Board and others. So there is a process whereby the government has to do consultations. They're going to charge the AASB with promulgating final standards, etc. So there is a process that will be gone through over the next several months to actually finalize these standards and codify them in Australia regulation. I want to ask your next question, Sharanjit, about the breadth of these things. I mean, is it going to affect just the big four banks and publicly traded companies that are listed on the share market, or is it going to affect a broader uh, swath of the financial services industry? So this is more about what the government is proposing about mandatory disclosure. So IWSB is, is a broad standard. There's no mandatory stuff around that at the moment. But it's how it gets implemented by each geographic area across Australia, each regulatory environment. And so what the government governments have indicated is essentially uh, three tiers of companies. So first off, it is the larger listed companies, but then it does extend to the more medium-sized companies. There's specific criteria about number of employees and turnover and balance sheet size that go into that. And, then the, and I think there's a third, a third stream as well. So, so, and these are different starting points. So some will have to start from next year. So start disclosing in 2025 what they did starting in 2024. So realistically, people don't have much time to prepare. You need to have the systems in place. You need to have those processes for capturing the information to disclose. And you need to put that in place within the next 12 months. I think the other thing to say, though, is that Going back to what I was saying earlier, there's the whole disclosure piece, but it's also how it affects business more broadly. And and while this might capture the bigger banks and insurers and the listed ones up front, it's also going to affect everyone because you don't want to be, if you're a smaller operator, you don't want to be the one who's suddenly thinking about this in 2026 and trying to find where is the business that, that has low emissions that I can insure and I can do it if they've all been taken up by the big players because they've had to do it two years beforehand. There's a real competitive advantage that people will gain because of these changes by going first. And it's true, Sharanjit, also that e- the big companies do business with smaller suppliers and others who are perhaps going to get captured in parts of this before they have to report mandatorily because they are suppliers and they are in the scope three emissions orbit of, of larger entities, correct? Correct. And this goes back to that scope three, exactly. That scope three spreads the problem out or spreads the challenge out for, for everyone. So even if you don't disclose under these standards, somebody you do business with will have to and they will ask you, what are your emissions? Because you're part of my scope three and you affect how I do, do, do business and what I have to disclose. That's right. So, so specifically, what do you think banks and insurers should be doing now? You know, in July 2023, what should we be doing to get ready for the future? So first of all, first of all, you need to have a plan. You need to have thought this through and developed a plan and be ready to talk about exactly how you're going to implement this. Second of all, is there's a large part of this that is about data and metrics, and you need to make sure that you're capturing that information starting next year. And you will need to have systems and processes and assurance in place as well when you think about that. Then you need to think about what is your targets. So part of this is going to be disclosing how are you going to reduce emissions over time and and what are your transition plans. And that is also going to be take a lot of planning and thinking through. You need to understand your supply chain. 
you know, increasingly we're having to think about supply chains from a whole bunch of perspectives, but this is going to be another part of that. Who are you? Who are your suppliers? What are their emissions? Who are you supplying to? How does your products feed into their emissions? And lastly, uh, you know, what are the opportunities here? You can't leave the opportunities piece to the end because there are going to be there is going to be a lot of disruption to the market. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for innovation. How are you positioning yourself for that? And I suppose one other thing that's different perhaps than in the past, it's no longer going to be sufficient to simply say we're going to achieve net zero in 2050 or set some target that's far into the future when you may be retired or (laughs) in another industry. This is going to require specific plans, metrics, and things that are going to be measured in an annual basis, and you're going to have to report back on things that you said were going to happen which, you know, whether they did or not, etc. So it's going to be a much more rigorous process than we may have been used to in the past, correct? Yeah, absolutely. It's now a race. I think that's how I see it now. Before it was something we do on the side, but now it is a race to zero. And the standards, what they've done is really set up the, the race course, what it looks like, where all the turns are, you know, and they fired the starting pistol. And, and I think it's important to note in a, in a positive development, which I know the uh, Australian Institute of Company Directors and others have been pointing out in submissions, that there are some pretty strict requirements in Australia on directors' duties and disclosure, and, mm. and it's in some ways much stronger than in other countries. And it appears that the new consultation seems to indicate that they're considering a safe harbor for a period of time because so much of this is not crystal clear in terms of what what you have to do. And it's not as as clear as the other statements you may make publicly, correct? Correct. And I think that's going to be very welcomed by directors broadly because that has raised concerns about greenwashing and, and all the potential issues around that. And the safe harbor will be very effective in enabling companies to get going. So I guess to sort of close on our podcast, I, I think the next thing we might want to think about is what's coming in the future. I mean, is this the end mm. of the ISSB standards? Are we uh, going to be able to have a big burst of work in 2023 and 24, and then things will you know, sort of not change for a while? Or you know, what do you think about the future path of this reporting exercise, both from the ISSB and more generally with other types of reporting that companies are going to have to do? Yeah, so I, I'll go back to my earlier comment that I think that this is the starting pistol going off, right? And so, you know, that we have in this, there is S1, which is the general framework for reporting, but then S2, which is very much on climate. We're, you know, we're, we're expecting that down the track, there will be standards about nature and also standards maybe on more so wider social issues that are highly important towards sustainability. Also, I think down the, down the track, we will see more guidance and more supporting information coming out of the IWSB. So the IWSB is here to stay. The scope will increase over time. I think the forces are building up for that. And I also think that uh, we'll get more support and development for these standards. So they've launched uh, you know, a technical implementation group already, and we'll see things like that carry on, And which is very much parallel to what happened with IFRS 17. We had that process, the technical implementation group, and all those pieces came through as well. And I think one thing that helps me understand this, at least, is that 
one of the massive problems that was identified by Mark Carney and others was sort of the tragedy of the commons, the externalities that exist in the economy. A good example is that when you have a complex supply chain to produce an iPhone or a product, you know, the, the materials for that may move all over the world and have massive emissions of uh, carbon and marine shipping, etc. In the past, none of that was really well captured and measured. And there was a massive amount of externalities, I think, in the whole economic system that has sort of led us into this situation where we could pollute the atmosphere with carbon, cause big consequences without measuring it. And so I, I guess I'd like your reaction is, in closing is, you know, isn't this sort of like monetizing carbon and actually trying to put a, a numerical measure on a lot of these externalities that you can then put on a balance sheet, put on an income statement, measure company KPIs for managers on it, and actually measure it using the old adage that what's measured gets managed. Absolutely agree. And God bless the accountants is what I would like to finish with. I think this, you know, we have done, they, uh, this process has been very reasonably fast. And although it's been a while coming, they've, uh, they've gone through extensive consultation it's built very strongly on the pillars of what's been successful disclosure beforehand. The IFRS Foundation are to be congratulated for this project. Absolutely, I'd second that. And we thank you uh, for listening to our podcast and uh, wish you a good day. Thank you very much, Roger. Thanks, Richard.